there, Green Future Growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android on their own. And uh, in October 2017, we just had the idea, what are we going to do with this land? And we've always been avid gardeners, so um, we just started uh, trying to figure out how to do it. Well, it looks like you're having quite a bit of success. I mean, nobody ever watches my videos. (laughs) <laughs> it seems well, like yeah. I put out a lot of videos, not necessarily for my gardening videos this summer, but for more like because I'm an elementary teacher for kids in school uh-huh. and like nothing I seem to do could get anybody to watch those videos. So you must be doing something right. Well, I, you know, I really don't know what it would be. The The one thing I have noticed lately is because you know we don't really watch much tv at all if at all and so in the evenings really what we do is we kind of stop working and we're done with our day about you know 8 30 ish so we just youtube and so we just stream it to our tv and watch youtube and so i we watch it on the tv which so you can't interact with it but i sit there with my ipad and go to the same channel that we're watching and if i if I like their video or I make a comment on their video, I get a lot more. I get a lot of other people, seems like, that um, are interested in what we do. Oh, see, I've never done anything like that. Uh, that may help. I mean, I bet it does. Because, you know, I mean, look, you videos. have like 35 views, 63 views, 49 views, 14 views. Like, I swear, like, my videos have like zero views. And if they have like one or two views, it's probably me watching my own video. And after like three months of that this summer, I just was like, oh my gosh, I give up. <laughs> so, um, well, don't give up. You do have to be persistent. And, you know, it's, it, I'm just, we're just now starting to get a few subscribers and, and people that watch our stuff. But yeah, it's, we've been doing it for a year and it's taken some time. Yeah, see, the way I look at it is you've only been doing it for a year, and look at all the traction you're getting. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, well, maybe, maybe it's also because you have, like, good videos and you have good topics, and but probably that making um, connections with other people. I mean, they say engagement is key, and that's where a lot of it comes from. So I... Uh, I loved your microgreens video because I've been thinking of growing microgreens because with all the lettuce scare and then lettuce is so expensive and I just love lettuce and I thought I would look into what does that all entail? Well, honestly, it's it's been the easiest gardening method I've ever tried to learn. It's, it's really simple. Okay, well, uh, before we get to there, let me introduce you and all that kind of thing. Did you get the copy of the questions? It sounded like it swooshed. Yep. Uh, okay. And did you have any other questions for me? Um, I can't think of anything right now. Okay. So I'll just introduce you and we'll go from there. All right. Sounds good. Here we go. Welcome to the Organic Gardener podcast today. It is Tuesday, January 15th, 2019. And um, I have somebody on the line who's having some pretty good success with his YouTube channel. I think because he's engaging with people and he's got some great videos because um, he's kind of new to the online world, it looks like, but it's been gardening for a long time. And his YouTube channel is called Savvy Organics. And here from Red Oak, Texas, is David Selman. So welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Jackie. I appreciate it. Uh, it's good to be with you today. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on already and so fast. Like, I just reached out to you, and here we are talking together. And um, I just got a lot of value out of your video. So, But do you want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself and, like, what you do and how you got started? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, we, I basically, I've been gardening most, most of my life since I was, a, you know, a little kid and, um, you know, life happens to you and you have kids, your own kids. And we always had a family garden. So, but nothing, nothing that we raised more than a few vegetables for ourselves. And then, um, in the last few years, I have, um, with the kids all grown and moved out on their own 
Um, we have five acres, and so we no longer, you know, need it for livestock and cattle that we had when the kids were in ag and those kind of things. So um, we just, uh, October 2017, and we kind of came up with the idea, what are we going to do with our land now? And, um, well, I've always enjoyed gardening. So we really started watching others about, um, you know, their their market gardens and their CSA programs and the reasons they do it and all the health benefits. So um, I just started with the half acre in the pasture next to our house and and uh, <laughs> basically started ripping the ground up <laughs> uh, to try to figure out what we were doing and then just watch YouTube guys at night and learn as much as I could, as fast as I could. So who are some of the YouTube people that you've been watching that you feel have been giving like the most successful advice from? Well, some of them, some of them are the the subjects range everything from homesteading to organic gardening, um, stuff like that. But some of our favorites, our favorite channels, um, we really really enjoy. Mi Gardener, he's really a, a good one to watch, and um, we watch uh, Justin Rhodes, the uh, uh, with uh, Abundant Permaculture. He's got a really good channel. Watch his family; they do a vlog every day. Um, they do everything from livestock and gardening. And then um, who else do we watch? Um, Living Traditions, it's a homesteading channel, but they do a lot of gardening um, and a lot of with uh, raising animals and things. So I'm trying to think, who else? Um, well, that's a good start. Those are probably the main Yeah, those are, those are our favorites. Cool. So how – well – I always kind of start at the show asking about your very first gardening experience. Like, were you a kid? Was was it when you were an adult? Like, once you had your kids? Or, like, who were you with and what did you grow? Well, you know, as a kid, I mean, as a kid growing up in town, um, at my parents' house, we had, my dad just let me, uh, you know, sort of uh, get a small garden plot in the backyard. And uh, other than maybe some squash and stuff like that. I don't really remember what all I grew then, but I always had an interest in it. And my parents had some lake lots on a, on a lake not too far from where we lived. And um, I think it was like a quarter acre and we, uh, we had a big garden there and I was always helping in, helping in that. Um, but, you know, just over, over all the years uh, um, and then, you know, raising our family and stuff, the, the importance of of um, teaching your kids, you know, where food comes from and why it's important and nutritional value of, of it. And um, uh, we're just, you know, felt like us, felt like to us good ways to, to raise our kids and give them responsibility and um, a good work at work ethics and stuff like that. So. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so did they do like 4-H? You were saying that like you had the, like some of the land was for them doing projects like were they 4-H or future farmers of America or like just home yeah yeah they um we were involved with the FFA um for all of my kids we um uh, primarily raised longhorn uh, Texas longhorn cattle and show cattle and so we raised those and the the kids earned scholarship money uh for college really? uh, by by doing that so um, that's primarily what it was. And then we had horses and we did uh, the play days and, you know, the little rodeos and stuff for, for many years. But, um, but yeah, we've always had an active lifestyle with, with the outdoors. And um, we grew up hunting and fishing with my kids. And I did it with my dad when I was a kid. So some of those family traditions just get passed on. Are you, are you from Texas originally, like born and raised? I am. Yeah, I have lived here all my life. I've been to quite a few other places in, in the U.S., but um, I've lived in lived in the uh, Dallas area most of my life. Cool. So then is that how you learn how to garden organically, like from your family lake garden or just like over the years? Or how did you get into that? Over the years, basically. But in the last few, it's been even more important because you know, the older you get and you realize, you know, I've been putting this thing or that thing in my food for so many years. And you kind of one day you just think, I wonder if that's what that actually does. You know, you read the labels on some of the foods that you were buying and you think, 
I can't pronounce that. Why am I eating it? <laughs> sure. I was just so, reading. There's a, you know, the, this woman, Vanny Hari, who's got the Food Babe Army, and she just sent out an email this morning talking about um, like different almond milks and different alternative milk products and like yeah. just the surprising sugars and weird ingredients you see in those yeah. things. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's so many things in, in the food that, that people don't even realize there. Um, yeah, like and, even know, my so friend really, Daisy was I, saying she doesn't like to buy, is it Costco milk? Because they like fortify yeah. it with fish oil. And she was like, I just can't understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Um, we, 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 other than for a holiday or something to make an agree, you know, as an ingredient, we, we really don't use anything except almond milk. We, we uh, make it ourselves. We buy the the raw almonds and make almond uh, almond milk. We make almond butter. How hard um, is that to, to like? How do you do that? Do you just basically soak the almonds? It's, it's, yeah, I mean to make the almond milk, it's it's really easy. Um, you, they get soaked and then um, uh, and then they get ground up and they get put in a nut bag. And uh, after they're ground up and they're put into the to the nut bag, you just squeeze them through the through the the nut bag and it what comes out is the is the almond milk um and there's just not not any cleaner way to do it it's um only takes uh you know 10-15 minutes and um it's really easy and then almond butter which i love because a lot of the you know the store-bought things have so much other additives and sure. stuff almond butter the almond butter is really easy um we just roast the almonds um at about 350 to 400 degrees for about 10 to 12 minutes, take them out, let them cool. And then we use a Vitamix to blend them into butter. Um, sometimes if they're dry, I'll have to add a little bit of oil or something to them, but uh, really simple to make and it goes a long way. And it's a lot less expensive than what you'd buy in a store. Sure. And it is so expensive. Um, and what a different taste from peanut butter or just, there's lots of uses for almond butter. Does it there come are, out with yeah. the texture of uh, peanut butter? Um, what we typically make is actually a little bit thicker, but it just depends on on if you wanted to add anything like uh, you know a tasteless oil, more like avocado or um, some sunflower oil or something that doesn't have any flavor. You can um, you can thin it a little bit by adding some oil to it, but generally the consistency is is just as good as anything you you would buy that's been processed. And that's what we're trying to avoid are all those processed foods and um, uh, all the additives that go into them. Yeah. And I think like some people like think processed or I know I do sometimes like I, I often wonder like, is buying peanut butter and making a peanut butter jelly sandwich like is that still like processed in a way because the peanut butter comes processed already? You're not like just taking your own peanuts and like the jellies part. Like I always wonder like is that actually making it yourself or does that count as processed because the product, the pieces that you're putting together, are already processed. I, I'm, I would say it's I would say it's processed. Yeah. So. Uh, that's great that you're doing all that. And nobody is really, I don't think anybody's talked about making their own almond milk. I was just talking to somebody yesterday. Um, she rents Mason bees. So you can buy like a Mason bee kit from her and she'll ship them to you and you can keep them all summer and then you send them back. And, uh, she was talking, we were talking about the bees down in the almond groves. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. My son's a beekeeper and we have one of his hives we keep on our, on our farm. But he has sent all of his hives for the winter out to California. Um, he leases those beehives to them for their almond fields. But the, the mason bees you mentioned, I've tried to get those to come to our place, and I have not had any luck. I even have a little house for them and everything, but have not seen any. Yeah, I don't know. Well, she, like, like their main goal is to spread mason bees around the country. And she said that they're great because they don't sting. They're, you know, very um, super pollinators. Like, they'll pollinate more, flower, way more yep. flowers than a honeybee will. And But I think they there is some challenges to getting them to start. And, the, and then, like I said, they rent these boxes out and you get like a PVC pipe tube with a bunch in it. And then some will stay and some will, you know, some will stay in your garden. And then that's a good way to get them started. But she said they do require a little bit of maintenance in the winter, 
because um, like they actually give them a bath and then there's these pollen mites. And if you don't clean out their homes, she said, that's where the real trouble goes is that those pollen mites grow and grow and the mite colony gets bigger. And so that they really clean out the homes when you rent the tube, when you send the tube back and they just, they actually keep the bees in their fridge and just um, do this whole system to help them grow. But they're kind of on a mission to spread more mason bees around. So I have not tried the mason bee thing, but I've heard about it. And some of my listeners were asking me about it. So. Yeah, and I've heard that they're such great pollinators. And like you said, they're not as aggressive and they don't don't have the, they don't sting. And um, yeah, they're just, uh, they, they should be. I don't know why we don't have more of them, but uh, they say they're everywhere, but maybe they are. I just don't, maybe I don't know what I'm looking for exactly, but um, I would love to, to know more about it and, and actually get some of those on our place. Okay. Uh, well, the one thing she was talking about was like different times a year that like there's like two different kinds like she, they ship mason bees in the early spring and then in the summer they ship these what did she call them leaf cutter bees so maybe like it just depends on when you're looking you're not noticing them or I don't know so maybe you can yeah, listen to that episode and learn about them. I'll have to check it out for sure. So anyway, do you want to tell us about something that grew well last year or this season? Like, do you have stuff in the ground right now? Or you said it was like 40 degrees, probably uh, not. We, yeah, it's, it's pretty much winter right now, but we do have a few things in the ground. We have we have our first greenhouse we were able to put up this past season. It's uh, uh, 26 by 12, and in there we have carrots and spinach and broccoli and cauliflower growing it's doing pretty well um but over the season last year i think that the biggest things that we had the most success with were probably um lettuces kales turnips we did really well with those and daikon radishes which a lot of people don't know about um or know how to use but man they are so good i didn't know about them until i started gardening but Uh, gardening here the way that we do now but these daikons are amazing they grow huge and the flavor is really good it's good in soups and salads and um, really diverse vegetable but yeah the um, different lettuces and uh, we grew the typical dinosaur kale and the blue dwarf kale those did really well Um, the garlic did really well for us this year so we had we had a pretty good season all in all You know what I learned last year from making cane is that you can roast garlic. Like, I didn't know you could cook, right? I guess you know because you're putting them in soups. But I made so many sautés at the beginning of the year with radishes. And Mike had these monster radishes in, like, all these different colors, like purples and whites and bright red. Well, red you normally get, but just he had, um, there were maybe even some yellow ones or gold ones or something. It was just before the beets were ready, I ate so many... um, sautés or stir fry I don't know what you want to call them just like I take a cast iron skillet and just throw some avocado oil or some olive oil and some a whole bunch of kale I grew dinosaur kale for the first time last year and I just fell in love with it I was like this is the best I never really liked Mm -hmm. kale before I found that one and then um lots of Swiss chard and just but with those radishes was so good how do you like your greenhouse is it a greenhouse or a hoop house or did you get do you have both it's well, I call it a greenhouse. It's basically, it, it's kind of a, more like a hoop house because it doesn't, it has a, uh, it's not a, not poly, polycarbonate, uh, you know, enclosure. It's um, kind of a plastic, a green plastic colored mesh that, you know, filters out some of the UV rays and stuff. But, um, you know, it was really inexpensive. And when you're starting a, a farm and trying to build any kind of infrastructure on a shoestring, it's, it can be challenging. So, I found this company there here in, uh, in Richardson, I think, which is just north of us, and uh, maybe it's Frisco, someplace right up north of us. It's called Delta Canopy Company, and they have all kinds of greenhouses and canopies of all kinds. And um, I found them one day and found this greenhouse that was, I want to say it was like 400 bucks, and uh, I built, put it together one day literally it just took it you know maybe maybe a day to get it all set up and so my biggest thing was because we really had one big failure i had tried to make before i bought this one i had tried to make 
a high tunnel or uh, a greenhouse out of PVC and uh, greenhouse plastic. And the day that I finished it, we had a really bad windstorm that night, Aww. and it just crumpled it. Yes, it was my wife and I had a good laugh. It was pretty funny for us out there in the wind trying to tag this thing down and pick up the mess. It was crazy. So I was kind of worried when we bought this one, you know, is it going to, because our wind here is just, it's horrible sometimes, you know, it'll be 40, 50 mile an hour for, you know, a couple of days sometimes. And so far um, it has really held up well. It's uh, it has a, a lightweight aluminum metal frame and then this plastic uh greenhouse plastic goes over it has a door on both ends so it you know it opens at either end has uh, windows down both sides for ventilation and it the the way the plastic comes down on the sides you can it you know it's, it's wider than than the greenhouse frame so we put uh, a lot of mulch and stuff over the outside edges of it and then on the inside I took those screw-in ground anchors and screwed those into the ground and then ran a wire from the anchor to the frame on the greenhouse. Um, and we've had horrible winds. And other than it moving a little bit, you know, maybe an inch or two here and there, um, it has stayed in place. I'm thankful. I think that movement might be a little good for it because it gives it a little wiggle room. We've had so much trouble between the wind and the snow. Mike's had, I think, two or three different... Uh hoop house greenhouse type structures collapse under the weight of the snow uh, in montana and then yeah nothing's more heartbreaking than looking out there and seeing your hard work just like laying on the ground i know i know the feeling yep i do but I, yeah we don't we every once in a while we'll have it snow but nothing like you guys would get in montana well, it's funny. I know it snows in Texas because I got stuck in a snowstorm in Texas. Like the one time I was there, I was coming back from, or I was driving from New Mexico to New York and I went through Texas my first night. It was the day after Halloween I left and got totally, didn't make it very far at all and was just like in a total blizzard. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that was my one experience. Yeah, a, life. So, yeah we, we can get some snowstorms and some ice storms. Yeah. So how about something like you're excited or new that you want to try next year? Um, something new. Well, you know, last year, the produce that we grew, we really, you know, from our friends at church and people we would meet here and there and talk to, people would just kind of, you know, come to our house or we would take things to church for them to buy or um you know which worked pretty well for the amount we were growing but this year with our new garden plan and our layout and stuff we should have a uh, should have a lot more produce this year so for me what's exciting this year is um, we're going to try um to set up a little green stand or a little farmstead probably simple under a couple canopies or something and some tables and just you know have people come to us on saturday mornings and buy what they want Nice. Um, some, you know, we, we thought about the uh, some farmers and some market gardens, they'll do like, a, you know, a pick your own. But I'm a little skeptical of that right now, because uh, what, I, what I'm hearing from people that do that is sometimes you'll get people that don't know how to harvest lettuce. So rather than cut it off, they'll pull up the whole plant and, you know, your leaf lettuce, it'll continue to produce sometimes three or four times but if they pull the plant up it's done so but yeah the uh the exciting thing for us is to try to grow enough and to um start to build our uh clients uh, clients up by having them come to our farm um so we'll see how it goes you know what this woman that i talked to that lives kind of near us in whitefish pam Drury from purple frog gardens talked about they had a yeah. like a volunteer day once a week and she talked about um one of the good things about that like she really had to focus like on that day she had to really think about like just kind of managing it's kind of like being a classroom teacher i guess you know where you're you're just like moving around and managing and you're and you're just kind of like interacting with the volunteers and just really focused on helping them and then um mm -hmm. 
And then the other days she would like, you know, she would just like, she would be very specific about there's nobody coming to the farm these days and she would have her own days there. But she said that was a way that they really were good. And I guess I imagine like by volunteering, you got to, and that might be like something you might want to look into instead of like people coming to pick where they're coming to volunteer and then they get to take some stuff home because that way you're educating them and you're teaching them and then they're doing it the way that you want them to do it. Um, but it does take for sure working with other people on your farm, you know, there's always pluses and minuses and, um, certain things that are going to, you know, you're going to learn certain, certain, I don't know, but I can imagine. That. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good idea. Um, I, I have, I thought about it, but not really, not really done anything to engage it very much, but I think that's a really good idea. She said um, like, it was amazing how part. many kids that she would meet, like, cause they were pretty big farmers i think for like 35 years here in a local valley i think they just retired her and her husband and you know so many people heard about it like like even if they were at work they would like almost send them like good vibes because they couldn't go where they were always like i'm gonna go one of these summers and like other people like kids that like were like i remember the day we came to your farm and now i'm older and i have my own garden and just so it, it built so much community around her farm that volunteer day and it was just something you know special about her farm and it was it's kind of a different concept i mean uh, I actually am trying to get this guy to come on and talk about um, pick your own blueberry farms and things like that, um, where it's like a specific oh, yeah. crop, um, how to how to have that profitable. So I'll see. I saw he was going to be a speaker at um, New York, the New York Organic Grower Association conference or something. So, um, you know, I think it just it just kind of depends, you know, management, whether you're managing preschoolers or you're managing you know, volunteers or you're managing, you know, a farmer's market or whatever. It's definitely a skill set that takes, um, you know, a lot of, uh, <clears throat> give and take and understanding and listening and trying again and, and just, um, figuring out what's, I always like to like focus on what's been successful and kind of expand on things that are going well. That's the way I always like to look at my classroom. What's going well. What can I expand on more than, focusing on what's not working but that's just me anyway yeah. tell yeah. us about something that maybe well you kind of told us a little bit about your um past greenhouses but is there like something that didn't go so well last season that you thought was going to go differently and maybe didn't turn out the way you thought it was gonna did we already talk about this um what didn't go so well last year um <laughs> well one of the things was you know, as I said, I mean, I've been gardening for many years, and one thing that I could not make happen last year were simple beans. Oh, I was reading beans. that blog post. It's like, what is going on here? We planted them no less than three, maybe four times at different points, different times, different conditions, and they just wouldn't take off. They would come up, they would look great, they would even flower, and then they would just wither away. No idea what was going on. So the last round, I planted some, thinking, okay, here we go again. This still isn't going to work. And just a simple blue lake bush bean, literally a blue lake bush bean, and they were so prolific. They, they came up. They did pretty much the same thing. I thought we were going to be in the same situation, but they, um, they, they flowered, and then we were having beans like crazy. The odd thing then was I had to recheck the package. As I said, I thought they were blue lake bush beans. These things climbed everything. They went crazy uh, with the vining and the climbing on all the trellises and everything they could touch, they would <laughs> climb. It was just weird. It's like, what is up with beans this year? I don't know. We never did figure it out. But but they were still uh, blue lake bush beans? Were they bush beans or yeah. pole beans? No, they were bush beans. That's what it said on the package. My wife often wondered, I wonder if they got these in the wrong packet somehow, because those aren't, those aren't bush beans. <laughs> they, uh, they really did climb like crazy. But, yeah, trying to grow them, the, you know, the normal times and stuff that we would normally grow beans, they just did nothing. And were they, like, were you rotating your beds, or were you putting them in the same kind of beds? Well, you know, the... The pasture that we started gardening in last year, uh, it was the first year to actually grow anything except pasture grass. And so I kind of chalked it up to that. And 
you know, of course we had put some in, put in some amendments and things, but you know, it, 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 they, that didn't work. So I, I thought, well, maybe it's because this is the first time this soil in the, in the field has had anything grown in it. So I moved it to our kitchen garden and I had the same result. Our kitchen garden has grown things for the 20 plus years we've lived here, but still the beans did the same thing. They came up, they, they grew, they looked good. They would flower and then die. So do you think it was bee, like the bees that you didn't, nothing pollinated them? Um, no, I'm pretty sure they got pollinated because we have uh, beehives and we saw bees everywhere. There were, yeah. And you um, did get I them eventually. Got you got a bunch of beans. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But really, really late season that we got them, uh, like I said, probably the fifth or sixth time that I planted them. Um, and they, do you think uh, it was just too but then they hot? turned out not to be are they kind of a cooler well, weather vegetable? Well, they're they're really good in the spring and in the fall typically. But our spring last year was was not typical. We'd have periods of really torrential rains, and then um, it'd get extremely hot and dry. And we had several late freezes mm-hmm. that. Because they're kind of they're kind of like picky about a freeze, right? Because I know Mike doesn't like to grow the pole beans because he says every year they get me and they freeze right when I'm about to harvest. So I think they're kind of tender. I agree. I think so too. I know they they really won't tolerate a freeze, but um, we thought we were well past the freeze season or the you know the last frost date, of course. But um, we did end up having some really really late freezes. I think all the way into April. I think our last frost date's like in the middle of June. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, our, <laughs> we're lucky if we can put things in the ground before the middle of April. Like my husband's always like, because I yeah. always plant my sunflowers on Earth Day, April twenty second. He's like, "Are you sure you can put those in already?" And I'm like, "Yes." If I want them to go to seed, I pretty much, but I don't know. For me, it seems like it doesn't matter if I put them in in April. I put them in in June. They all kind of bloom at the same time at the end of August. And I don't know. I think actually I'm starting to think that if they're going to go to seed, it depends more on the variety of sunflower that I'm growing than when I put them in the ground. Because last year, the ones that I put in the earliest never went to seed. Sure. So. uh, That's weird. Well, I don't know. I didn't. My husband kept telling me they were too close together and I should thin them out and I should thin them out because they were like mammoth sunflowers and I grew them in a small space. So I had too many together because I was thinking I wanted them for bouquets and I guess maybe because they grew really tall and thin and they only had like four or five inch heads, but they never really went to seed. Yeah. Well, I, I know I'm pretty sure the sunflowers like corn and uh, is um, they're really, really heavy feeders. They really need a nitrogen rich soil. So uh, maybe they didn't have enough nitrogen to, to fully mature and get those giant heads. Hmm, maybe. Let's see. I think the year before he had potatoes planted there and then the year before that they would have had green beans. But maybe, I don't know. That's a good thing to think of. Uh so, you know, this is actually where we call getting to the root of things, which is like kind of like a lightning round. I don't know if you listen to other podcasts, but like um, just supposed sure. to be like shorter answer, whatever comes to your mind first type of question. So, like, do you have a oh. least favorite activity in the garden, like something you got to kind of force yourself to go out and do? A least favorite activity? Yeah. Um, something you don't really like that much? No. no, I can't think of anything I don't like to do out there. Uh, well, I, th- I always think when people say that, that's pretty inspiring for other listeners out there, especially ones that maybe don't garden so much. But so on the flip side, then what's your favorite activity? What do you love to do the most out there? My favorite thing is um, uh, probably planting. You know, I, I enjoy the, the time when we're actually planting stuff, whether it's our seed starts that we've that we've grazed in the in the cold months before time to plant or whether we're direct seeding i really um because it it, it's a it's a feeling of um here we go you know spring is here Uh, we can uh, see how we do this year you know it's just an exciting time and i i enjoy the the planting season cool i like it when you put the starts in the ground and all of a sudden it's like instant garden (laughs) right um but i've 
I will go back to your other question about my least favorite thing Sure, to I do. knew you would. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I give that a thought for a second because I'm sitting in front of my computer and I can see the corner of a spreadsheet that I have for the garden. And the, the thing that has been the hardest for me to do and I probably enjoy the least is planning. You know, I'm kind totally of a, understand. A, an active guy. I, I want to go out and just do it, you know? And expanding or getting a little bit, you know, larger, farming, uh, you know, nearly an acre this year, I really, we had to come up with a plan. So over the winter months, we've been working on a plan. And um, that's probably one thing I didn't enjoy that much is planning. I hear you. But I'm kind of in the same boat, like, because like when I first started my podcast, my husband was really the gardener and I didn't really have much to do with it. And then the last, like since I've had my podcast, I spend more time out there all the time. And this year, and I'm very much like that. Like I'm the kind of person that like goes to the nursery like after the 4th of July and I'm like, hey, what's on sale? What can we put in? And part of that's probably the teacher in me who's like, all right, summer's finally over. It takes me a little while to like, you know, get into having some time to and energy, but also, I don't know, but so, um, but this year I've been working on this like garden course and I've been like looking at what, like if we're going to make the jump from Mike's school has always been for us to grow enough food for us. But if we're going to try to like make the grump jump for stuff for sale, there's so many things I saw that mm -hmm. we did right last year. And I'm like, all right, now if we change, make these little tweaks, maybe we'll be able to like, you know, double or triple or like to me, it seems like ever since he planted this thing, I call a mini farm. And like the first year he grew like four times mm -hmm. as much food as usual. Last year, he must have grown at least 10 times as much food as he's ever grown. And so as we keep going, oh, um, but I'm very much more into planning this year. Like I don't I was looking back through my garden journals and it's like, oh, Mike's yelling at me because I didn't order the seeds in time again. Mike's like, I should have ordered the seeds. And a lot of times we end up getting seeds at the store because I don't order them. And this year I am like adamant. We are ordering our seeds in February or before then even like soon. And like, I'm not going to run out. Like yeah. I've been out of arugula and I wish I would have had a fall crop of arugula planted. And just there's some things that I'm adamant. Like, so I know how you feel. It's like, a, it's a, it's definitely for me. I'm not, and what do they say? Failing to plan is planning to fail. But I know I'm like the kind yeah, of person that absolutely. comes home and just like, all right, these are the seeds that I bought. Here's the, you know, here are the plants I bought. Where do we have room to put them? And Michael roll his eyes and be like, oh. <laughs> well, yeah, totally. I understand. It, you know, which is really strange because my uh, I'm also a home inspector. So my other business, I, I do a business plan every year. Well, what are we going to do and how we're going to do it? Our marketing, how our strategies are going to be. So, but I really didn't ever apply that to the gardening business. It's like, why I put stuff in the ground, it grows, I sell it, right? What could you know? What's what's the plan? <laughs> but it's it's more. It's my wife finally convinced me, you know, that we needed to plan this out, and um, so we did. And she helped me put together a spreadsheet um, that we basically just color coded. The, we mapped out, we measured and marked out the field where everything's going to grow, and then we color coded it, and then um, uh, put in. Uh, our 30 we're having basically all 30 inch beds and uh, so we mapped out on each of those what's going to go in it and then the other side of that you mentioned a minute ago you know ordering your seeds and have, making sure you had them well i have a box that i keep all of our seeds in and i thought well i probably got everything but i started going through it and i thought uh, by what we had on the spreadsheet, we really didn't. There, there were a bunch of the things we were planning to grow that I didn't have seeds for. So it helped us plan that out and what we needed to order. Sure. Uh, this one woman I interviewed who has a market farm, her and her husband down like, I don't know, an hour south of us from uh, Lower Valley Farm, Mandy Girth. Like one year she posts on Instagram and she's like, this is like the best real life game of Tetris. And she has like all these index cards and she's like, you know, each crop and like trying to figure out what's going to go where. They feed like 250 people off of their farm. I don't know how her and her husband do it. They are amazing. Wow. Like they have between the farmer's market and their CSA and everything. They like maximize their space just incredibly what they can grow. And so, um, but yeah, you really see planning. And then once you start to get like data back from what's worked in other years, um, I think you'll really see some like exponential success there. And that's what I'm hoping we're going to get next year too. But yeah, I don't know how many times seeds like, 
having the seeds ahead of time. And I just went through our seeds because I was like bound to determine to plant some herbs this week. So I have something, I don't know how it is. I don't have one potted herb in my house this winter, but I don't. And so I went and um, mm. made, put some herb seeds in the ground. And then I also went and bought like those, you know, live growing herbs you get in the produce department and put them in some dirt. I don't know if any of them will actually grow, but we'll see. But I also like was going through our seeds to see, and I wanted to make sure, did we really not have any arugula? Cause I'm just going to grow some in my windowsill and we didn't, but um, yeah, doing that seed inventory it, it, right now is crucial. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, how about what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Back to my short, best quick answer advice. questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, the answer to that would be, understanding the soil and that's still a challenge but the advice i received was you need to understand the soil the microbial life that's in the soil until several years ago you know it's dirt i put stuff in it it grows or it doesn't but yeah so the best advice i've ever gotten was from val nolan she's uh, one of my gardening gurus here uh, in north texas but um, that's some of the best advice i've ever had was you really need to understand your soil and the organisms in the soil that take care of the plants Sure. That's been a huge, uh, I mean, my show pretty much like the underlying theme could be called healthy soil. And I was just on this panel, uh, this guy, Steve Sedaire is working on, um, it's called that healthy soil summit and teaching people because he's doing it on like a farm scale. Like, I think like where he talks about like 2000 acres is like the small itty bitty size and, um, working with like no till and permaculture techniques. And he's got some really cool watering system that he's like developed that like you put the hose, like actually bury it in the dirt underneath the plants. Um, that's just really, uh, I don't know, cutting edge. I think, I mean, I don't know. He says he's been doing it for 30 years now, but. I he's the first person I've heard that's talked about that. So. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So many of these people that we admire for years, like the the person you mentioned, and then people like Elliot Coleman and some of those guys that have been doing this for all these many, many years, and everybody listens to these gardeners thinking, oh, yeah, he's just growing a garden. No big deal. And then so many of us are now really getting into it and understanding it. So we're going, oh, yeah, I remember he said whatever. And it's like, oh, it's important now. Sure. Uh and it's taken me forever to get into the hang of like people seeing like I remember when I first started my podcast I was talking to John Moore back in like episode 17 I think and like at the end of the podcast I was like so nervous like running the equipment and like getting used to what he was saying I'm like do you have any advice for everybody and he's like yeah don't dig and I was like wait did you just say don't dig and he was like Jackie I've been telling you this for like an hour now <laughs> so sometimes you just have to like hear yeah. things over and over and over before it starts to really sink in but um for sure soil health getting a soil test um you know rotating your crops doing you know adding compost and just doing growing cover crops i grew my first cover crops this year and just uh all sorts of cool little tips and tricks to help people be more effective and more efficient because you know gardening certainly is a lot of work and you want to be you know, if you're going to put all that effort in, it's nice to have some um, productivity there. Anyway, uh, David, do you have a favorite tool? Like if you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? Well, we just talked about no-till, but I'm going to mention it anyway, uh, is our BCS tractor. Um, our BCS walk-behind, if I had to take one tool with me or had a favorite tool, that would be it. And I understand no-dig, and we're really kind of a minimal dig. We don't do it just to do it. But our soil here uh, is like concrete. It is thick gumbo black clay, and it is impossible to plant in unless you do something with it. So, um, yeah, the BCS has been a tool I really couldn't garden without. Well, that's interesting because I'm pretty sure that's the same thing Mandy Girth said. <laughs> her her walk-behind tractor. <laughs> it might even have been a BCS. Uh, how about a favorite recipe you like to cook from the garden? Or eat from well, the garden. Um, last, yeah, last year we grew something that I had no idea about called broccolini. Ooh. I'd never heard of it until last year. And so we grew it for the first time. Absolutely fell in love with it. It's easy to grow. Um, it tastes like broccoli, but a lot milder. It's kind of like between a green and, uh, and broccoli. Um, 
and we saute it with onions and, and garlic and it's wonderful. The broccolini is just awesome. Um, so easy to, easy, easy to uh, grow and easy to cook. Cool. All right. Broccoli is like one of my all time favorite foods. Like I always think it'd be a toss up between pizza and broccoli. If I had to live on a desert Island, uh, <laughs> how about your favorite internet resource? Somewhere you like to surf on the web besides your awesome Savvy Organics YouTube channel, which I know listeners are going to want to check out right after this. I hope they do. And I hope they find yours as well. Um, favorite internet resource. Um, you know, probably, probably Baker Seeds, rareseeds.com, Baker Creek Seed Company. We order a few things, you know, they're, they're really about seeds that are, are heirlooms and seeds that are um, hard to find maybe or from other parts of the world. And um, they're always interesting plants. So a lot of the interesting plants are things we don't know how to grow or garden. We'll, we'll get some and, and try those in our kitchen garden. It's kind of where we test things out before we decide to, to do it longer term. But, yeah, the, the rareseeds.com. It's probably one of my favorites. How big is your kitchen garden again? How big? Yeah. Um, our kitchen garden is 21 feet by 90 feet. Holy cow. Uh, well, that's a big space, right? It's pretty large, and but, but if you really want to grow enough and a variety of fruits and vegetables for your for your family, um, that's that's a pretty adequate size. Now, that those are in raised beds. I can't remember the exact number, but the family garden is is primarily in raised beds. So we have a couple of beds that are dedicated year round. We have one that's dedicated to um, blueberries, which they say we can't grow here, but we have a good harvest. Um, and asparagus, we have dedicated asparagus beds because uh, you don't dig those up or anything every year. Um, I'm trying to get one blackberry. of those started. What's the that? asparagus beds. And we're definitely putting in blueberries this year. We had like, um, I don't know if we put them in before we drilled our well, or I just know we put them in a kind of dry, shadier area and they didn't do well. And I went and visited a friend of mine just like right over the hill last summer and saw her blueberries. And I am so bound and determined to make a nice bed of blueberries this year. And my husband's already got the beds picked out and everything. So... Nice. But, uh, I have been the, bugging the, him. I'm like, where are we going to put the asparagus? Where should we put some asparagus? Yeah. Yeah. Asparagus is, it's, you know, it's so prolific once you get it established. Um, but on those blueberries, the biggest thing with those is just getting the soil right. It's, they really want that acidic soil and they want the pH to be pretty, pretty, pretty right, which is going to be probably in the 5.5 range. So yeah, you get that right and you shouldn't have any trouble. All right. Good to know. How about a favorite reading material, like a blog or a magazine or a book, like anything you can recommend to listeners? Um, favorite. I can do favorite book. Sure. Uh, my, fa my favorite book right now is Joel Salatin's This Ain't Normal. Mm -hmm. it's, it's hilarious. It, he's such a funny writer. But, you know, he's um, he, he has, a, you know, some information on yeah. YouTube and people have done all kinds of interviews with him. And, um, well, you know, he, he does the tours at all the different, you know, home and garden shows, uh, homesteading uh, uh, places. And uh, so, yeah, Joel Salatin and uh, J.M. Fortier would be another one. His uh, book about market gardening is absolutely incredible. And I think I mentioned him earlier, but um, uh, Elliot Coleman, those are probably my top three go-to books for everything. Excellent. Uh, we have both J.M. Fortier's The Market Garden and a bunch of Elliot Coleman's books. I have not, I've got to read that. This ain't normal Joel Salatin's book. I'm going to try to remember to get that out of the library today. Because uh, a lot of yeah, people talk about that. Yeah, it's it's good. It's been out, I think, for a long time. It probably got published in mid two thousands, but um, I, for some reason, I'm just reading it. But um, I really enjoy it. Well, I haven't read it yet either. So, <laughs> uh, always comes around. Just I don't know. It's kind of like I say with the interviews, like the right guest is on when just the perfect listeners in the audience. And so, I know I'll um, read that book right at the perfect time. So. 
So how about, do you have any business advice, David, that you um, think listeners would like about either how to sell extra produce or get started in like kind of market farming? Are you, now you said you were taking stuff to your church. Is this the first year you're going to try to really, like, are you going to try to go to farmer's markets at all? Or you're going to try to have those booths at your house, the tables? Well, I think initially we're going to try it uh, here on our farm uh, just to have people come here and pick things up. We we really may may end up going to um, a farmer's market or something like that. But uh, being our second year, we're tr- trying to just gauge it and gauge how, um, how productive we can be. We're still trying to figure out how much produce we grow and how much we have. But um, between, because we also raise chickens, and so we have, we have almost 80 birds right now. So... The, um, between the eggs and the produce and the number of people at our church last year was a good number for people to, you know, for us to take it to them or uh, uh, for them to come by and pick it up. But um, this year, I really, really want to get a little bit broader and have more of the community uh, come out and learn what we're doing and uh, maybe buy directly from us. So we've, we've tripled the number of chickens that we have. So hopefully they'll give us triple the number of eggs. Oh. Um, last year we couldn't produce that fast enough. Um, and this year, um, we really want to try to try to get the, uh, uh, people coming here to, to learn more about what we're doing. Hey, so we've gone through this interview and I forgot two questions I wanted to ask you. One, what, like, so there's the one video about like sprouting the chicken food. So was that like you're yeah. sprouting the chicken food that you actually are feeding to the chickens or you're like sprouting the chicken food seeds that you're going to grow in the ground to feed the chickens. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is that what you're going to harvest or that's what you're like actually feeding Uh, them sprouted food? Yeah, we, we sprout them in five gallon buckets. So, you know, the organic chicken feed is here anyway, is extremely expensive. It's um, like 36 to $42 a bag. Sure. Um, so it's really so um, they 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 also they waste a lot of it. So they um, they're also not getting all the nutritional value out of the solid grain. So um, we had seen several YouTube videos about soaking grain and about fermenting grain. Well, we learned that if we buy the whole grains like barley, wheat, oats. Uh, peas they don't like too much, even sprouted, but um, uh, corn, those kind of things. We buy the whole grain, and we have a five-bucket system, and each day they, we add a new bucket because we feed one bucket every day. So, And it um, takes five days is all? By, five, by the fifth day, even in the winter right now, because we keep the five buckets. We have a small greenhouse that we keep, like, our patio plants and stuff in, so we sprout the seeds in there just to keep them warm. Mm-hmm. But on the fifth day, um, a really high percentage of those grains have sprouted. So they're soft, they're digestible, and the chickens are absolutely loving it. They, um, and they're doing really well on it. Uh, but it has reduced the need for uh, as much of the organic layer feed by doing the sprouting method. And because we use the chickens on our pasture, they're actually tilling and fertilizing, you know, throughout the winter months. Um, so I go out in the morning and I throw the bucket of feed out for them and they'll spend the rest of the day scratching, picking and, and, and fertilizing as well. Um, and preparing our garden beds for us or, you know, by adding nutrients and stuff. But, you know, it's just, it's part, partly, partly cost saving, and trying to reduce the, the feed bill for those chickens and um, partly to re- produce higher quality eggs because I really believe that they're getting better nutrients out of the soaked grains. Wow, I'm so glad I asked this because this is awesome. So, uh, does a, I, all right, so a five gallon bucket that feeds all 80 chickens? Um, yeah, we put, and um, how much like, we put, it, like it's a five gallon bucket, but how much is water and how much of it is green? Well, when you put the, when you put the grain in the bucket, it's um, probably about a third of the bucket is filled with that mix of grains I mentioned. And then we cover it maybe two inches with water. 
and um, each of the buckets, so we have a soaking bucket that soaks overnight. So it's got two inches of, of water over the grains. And then the, uh, uh, the other buckets, all, they're all stacked on top of each other, and they have I drilled holes in the bottom of them. So the, the next day, I take the grains that we soaked overnight, and I pour it into the top bucket, and all of the water drains through and gets all the other seeds in the four buckets below wet and keeps them moist. And that, bu- that bucket on the bottom is the one I feed the next morning. Wow, this is an awesome system. Do, is there a video that I can see on your website of your system? Um, I think I do have a YouTube video about that. Um, oh. If it's not clear exactly what we're doing on there, you know, people are free to ask questions and, and leave comments about it if there's anything they don't understand what or why we're doing that. But it's um, it, it really has cut our feed bill significantly, and um I think it's going to be a cool because my husband keeps bugging me about that because we don't actually feed our chickens organic food because I can't afford that. I can barely afford the $16 for the non organic food. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It's that would be great. Um, and then the other thing, what about the microgreens? Tell us like the whole microgreen setup deal like how does that work and you said it was really easy it is really easy and and i just um i just started my second round this week uh the first round was kind of a test round to figure out what i'm doing and i learned a lot doing that first first uh first go round but i have a a four foot shelf a set of shelves in, in our garage and of course it's winter so at the bottom i put a heat lamp down there and on each one of the five shelves, I have a hanging LED light, and they're kind of offset. And then at the top, I have two full-spectrum grow lights that, that shine all the way through. <clears throat> and um, so I started by getting uh, the 1020 trays. It's a typical garden tray, mm-hmm. and filling it with soil and, and uh, spreading the seeds that I chose over the top of it. And just just keeping them moist and then um, they typically sprout in two to three days and they provide microgreens that are edible and uh, the peas are the fastest growing they they're typically producing uh, we're on our second round but the they're producing um, and I just clipped them today again and they're uh, so every couple of days there's a, a new crop um, the kale and the broccoli I think it's because it's cold and not enough heat and they've been really slow, but they're still doing well. But on the microgreen, the tray uh, and the right weather conditions and the right temperature um, should be able to turn around a full complete tray in seven to 10 days. And, you know, here, each one of those trays is valued typically at 20 to $25. And literally it's like 60 or 70 cents worth of seeds. Wow. Well, you think in terms that I don't think. I'm just thinking, look at the savings for, like, what I'm not going to buy at the store. <laughs> uh, oh, absolutely. But, um, but yeah, that is a good way to, I mean, that's the way we should be starting to think about it if we're going to go to market one of these soon days. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that I've had to get over. And one of the things I've had to learn is, you know, you mentioned thinning something earlier, and I'm like, you know, that, that's one thing I don't like to do is thin things. I planted it. I want it to grow. Dang it. You know, it's got to come up and produce. Sure. But the thinking is a little bit different. You know, being a, a, a vegetable gardener for my family's use for many years is different than doing it as a business and doing it as a market garden because that one little plant that I might want to save, well, in the family garden, that's fine. But in the business, that's not going to fly. You've got to think on a larger scale. That plant is actually in my way to something that I can produce on a bigger scale. Good way to put it. Uh, do you have any, like, what are some of the lessons that you learned doing your microgreens? And like, did you get your seeds from Baker heirloom or, uh, um, uh, I had really high recommendations from several people to go to True Leaf. I think it's trueleaf.com. 
to buy the microgreen seeds. They're actually produced for microgreen growers. And um, so that was a really good resource, learning about True Leaf and, and getting the seeds from there. The, the price was good for, for, you know, whatever you want to grow. Um, and they had, they have everything you need. The, the thing I learned the, the quickest was, you know, it's a lot of work to go out every couple of hours and spray with a mist bottle, all your microgreens to uh, make sure they're nice and moist. That got old within a couple of days. Um, so what I learned is that there's two different kinds of 1020 trays. There are 1020 trays that have slots in the bottom and there are trays that don't. So this next round, what we've done is we put a slotted tray on top of an unslotted tray, and we simply put four cups of water in the unslotted tray, and I don't have to water them. It just wicks it up from underneath. Um, And, uh, yeah, so I don't have to do all that, that spraying and watering. Well, that's key because just spraying those couple of herbs, Mike just keeps telling me, your herbs are dry already. Your herbs are dry already. You need to water those more. And I'm like, but I watered them today. He's like, not enough. <laughs> Do it again. Right. They dried That's out already. Much. Those are tiny pots. Yeah. So I wonder if that would work for our seed starts. I might try that and see if watering them underneath and letting them soak water up rather than trying to water them all the time might be easier too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with that. Cool. Sounds great. Well, anything else we didn't talk about before I get to my final question? Um, I think we've covered a lot. Cool. We have. And I see we've been talking almost an hour, so you're probably like, let's get done. Uh, All right. So here's my final question. It's kind of a doozy. David, if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? That is a huge question. Um, you know, the one thing, the one thing, I guess, if, I'm, a, I'm a simple-minded guy. I'll keep this simple. If I had to change one thing to grow up, make a greener world, what would it be? Um, that would be to convince people to uh, buy local, uh, buy from local farmers as much as you can, and to uh, not always trust the, the mass producers and, and globally, and especially here in the U.S., I know um, it, the monocultures, fields and fields of, of corn or soybeans or those kind of things, I just don't think those are good for the planet or the environment or for our pocketbooks um, or the world at large. I think that the smaller growers produce as much or could produce as much and at a much higher, better quality that's not processed and chemical laden. So I think that would be my answer. Awesome. How about just a short inspirational tip or quote to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden? Motivational tip. Um, Well, I'm going to go back to one that I try to keep in mind that um, I've heard one of my favorite uh, homesteading YouTubers say um, on abundant permaculture uh, Justin Rhodes, and, and they did a farm tour all, all over America. And one of the things that got them started was this idea, this thought of what would you do if you weren't afraid? And for me, that was taking those things that I'm passionate about and not just turning them into a business, but turning them into something with more value, something that values, that, that benefits my family and the environment and my community. And so what would I do if I wasn't afraid? Uh, It would be to start the garden, start growing my own food, start whatever it is I'm passionate about. Um, It may not be in gardening, but what would I do if I wasn't afraid? Let's, let's tackle it. Excellent. So tell listeners how to connect with you. Where do they find your website and your YouTube channel? Well, we have a website, and um, I'm not real good at keeping that updated because I'm too busy gardening. But the um, the website is SavvyOrganicsFarm.com, and you can find our YouTube channel. Just do a search for um, Savvy Organics Farm, and uh, I hope people will um, uh, subscribe subscribe to our channel. 
And then on Facebook, um, we have a Facebook. Again, you just have to search for Savvy Organics Farm on Facebook, and um, we'd be glad to have you on there. All right, and I'll make sure all the links are in the show notes. Show notes. Well, thanks so much for sharing with us today, David. I so appreciate you coming on, and I know it probably went a little longer than you thought, so that's what happens when you drop too many golden seeds. Uh, you were a great guest. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. It was, a, it was really fun. I enjoyed cool. it. Hey there, green future growers. Would you like your friends and neighbors to create an organic oasis too? Would you like others in your area to learn about earth-friendly practices for their gardens and yards? If so, we would love it if you would share the Organic Gardener podcast with your local community or college radio station today. Thanks again for listening, and remember, grow local.